If we don't know one another, uh, it's really good to be with you. I'm a guest in your house uh, today. My name's Ashley. I'm one of the pastors um, over at Trinity on the west side and um, have not been here in a long time. Uh, The last time uh, I was here, we were facing the other direction, I think. Uh, You all have done a whole lot of like, um, man, the whole world has turned around though, hasn't it, since the last time um, I was here with you. And I just feel just extremely grateful to be in uh, God's house and to be uh, in the word together this morning. Thankful to get to be here with you at the start of the Lenten season. So this is, of course, the second Sunday in the season of Lent. For those of you maybe who are new to um, both maybe this church, but also even this church calendar, Lent is the time in the church year when the church calls us to um, enter into the wilderness, as they say to be um, a little bit more reflective, a little bit more prayerful, more thoughtful. You've heard us um, singing it even in the songs this morning. Um, We turn down a little bit and look inward. This is a season, these 40 days that stretch between the end of Epiphany and the beginning of Easter, a season for self-examination, reflection, um, a time of taking an inventory of sorts. Kind of like I look inside, look at your guts and see what's going on in there, you know? And uh, I always feel particularly thankful for the invitation, the timing of Lent, because we get, you know, like you come out of the darkness of February and you're looking towards spring. Um, and I, you know, this is, we all kind of have a feeling, particularly in these COVID years, like it's kind of wanting to shake something off, you know? And like ask ourselves as we're getting ready even to enter into spring, like are we ready for whatever is the next thing on the horizon? And really that's the question for Lent. When we say it's a time of preparation for Easter, really what we're meant to ask is like are we prepared for whatever it is that is waiting for us on the horizon that God wants to do for resurrection life? Because that's the thing with God, particularly um, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of resurrection. There's like this new life, this resurrection life that he's always wanting to bring into the world, like through me and through you. There's always a horizon. And so the question is like, am I ready for the God of resurrection to come into my life and do the thing that he wants to do? Because I will just tell you, And you don't need me to tell you, you know this already. A world in which there is no resurrection is a very different kind of world than a world in which there is a resurrection. And your faith and the Jesus you believe in is a very different faith and he's a very different Jesus if there is no resurrection. If the resurrection is for you a kind of nice idea, poetry, good thoughts, then that's a kind of world and that's a certain kind of Jesus and a certain kind of God. He's lovely in the poetic sense. We like to sing his songs. But he has no real authority. He has no real desires, no real intention and no real power to affect any of those desires or intentions in the world. The God of resurrection, however, the God of Jesus Christ, the one we will praise, sing about, worship, and Easter, is a God in which resurrection is not only possible, but has happened. And that God has real authority. 
real desires, real intentions, and the power to effect them, to bring them to pass. And so if I believe in, actually, truly, that God, the resurrection life, as Paul said, like the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. If I believe that, then I ought to be really serious-minded about asking myself the question, am I ready for what that God has in store for me and for my life? Because he's probably wanting to do something real, something that actually matters. If he actually raised Jesus from the dead and unleashed, unleashed a new creation, the Holy Spirit came in through the church in a real and powerful way, then what does he really actually want to do in me and in you? What's, to me, so lovely about this text, I love this passage so much. I felt really thankful that it was the one that I was gonna get to um, sit with and reflect on um, and be with you all in. I think today we're looking at um, Jerusalem. We're looking at a, kind, a certain kind of Jerusalem, a certain kind of world. Jesus is, of course, in Jerusalem in the text that we read when he's approached by the Pharisees. And the Jerusalem that the Pharisees represent in this text, the one that Jesus has himself entered into, is a kind of distortion, actually, from the Jerusalem that God intended and God created. And so the first thing for us to reflect on is that that is a reality, not just for Jerusalem, but for all of us, for the world. There is a world in which the resurrection is a nice idea, but not real. And there is a world in which it is real. There's a God who is like a nice idea. And then there's a God of resurrection. There's a Jerusalem that is the Jerusalem God intended, gifted to the world. And then there's the Jerusalem of the Pharisees. Here's the thing that I wanna think together about Jerusalem before we like look at what happens with Jesus, just for a minute to kind of like zoom out. I presume that a fair number of you know a fair number of things about Jerusalem itself, but I actually think it really matters for how we think about what's happening in this particular moment. Jerusalem is a lot of things. We could all go, if we went around the room, probably say a few facts about Jerusalem. It's of course the home of the temple. It's the center of political and religious life, Jewish life anyway, the time of Jesus. It was the footstool of God, the meeting place between heaven and earth, the city of David, God's gift to the world. So here's the thing that I think matters for us to remember. Jerusalem is, in short, a kind of miracle. It was a gift given by God, meaning Jerusalem should not have existed and would not have existed apart from God's grace, his intervention. Because if you remember, Israel started out as this like loose confederation of slaves living in Egypt. God delivers them out through the Exodus, constitutes them as a people, and then a while later, he gives them the city of David. He gives them a king, he gives them Jerusalem. It was a miracle, it shouldn't have existed. And because it existed only by God, he breathed it into existence, he made it. It therefore has a calling, like Israel itself, Israel was constituted and created as a people with a particular purpose, with a calling in mind. We cannot forget that. My creation is bound up in my calling as a follower of Jesus, as a spiritual Israel. So is yours. They are one and the same. 
I breathe because God's breath has been breathed in me and it comes with purpose and calling. That was true not just for individuals, but it was true for a collective Jerusalem. They were a kind of miracle and they had a calling and that calling was, of course, to make the blessing that God had given to Israel available to the world in city form. So like all of you individuals who've been redeemed, delivered by God and have access now to this new life that God has given you, you all get together and build a city and bless the world with it. Oh, but of course, Jerusalem was a real place, a real city, made up of real people who struggled with their calling in the same way you and me struggle with ours. And so Jerusalem as a whole struggled with its calling, who it was really meant to be. All the way up until, of course, the time of Jesus. Being who we're called to be is hard. I know this is true. It's hard for me. It's hard for you, it's hard for all of us. You might even say it's impossible. Being a person who like lives and breathes with the power of the resurrection life of Jesus, like y'all, that's not just stuff we say in our liturgy. It can't just be something I say in my liturgy. It has to mean something for me. What does it mean that my life has been shaped by, animated by the resurrected spirit of Jesus? It's a calling something I'm meant to be in the world, and it is hard to be in this world and not of it, as Jesus said. We struggle being in it, of it. Some days I'm more of it than others. Some days I feel in it and outside of it, just like we all do. That was true for Jerusalem, too. It's impossible, actually, to live in this world and not be of it, apart from God's grace, in the Old Testament, in the old days of Israel, God's grace looked like particular things. Prophets, visits from emissaries from heaven. See, Jerusalem was meant to be a kind of outpost for the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is beyond us. We don't have access to it. Jerusalem is gonna be an outpost in this world for heaven. And so God would send emissaries from heaven, prophets, Jesus himself, into Jerusalem to call Jerusalem back to its sense of alignment, to its calling, remind them who they're meant to be. And if you're in a place to receive it, that is a gift to you. If you're not in a place to receive it, that is deeply annoying to you. Annoying at best. Fills you with murderous rage at worst. So when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, he wasn't just being hyperbolic. You can ignore someone you don't want to hear or you can put them to death depending on the power you have and the degree to which you want rid of them. Jerusalem had by the time of Jesus become a distortion of who they were created to be. And when these emissaries had been sent to them, in order to hush them, silence them, and send them away, they put them to death. So this ought to raise immediately a kind of first question for me and you. If emissaries are sent my way, if I am meant to be, me, an outpost for the kingdom of heaven, and when the emissaries of God come for me, either through prophets, or through his word, or through his spirit, how receptive am I to asking the question, am I living into my calling 
am I ready for what God has for me? Because if you think about it that way, every visitation from a prophet is like a mini Lent, you know? If the whole point of the Lenten season is to, if it had a voice, right? Lent would say to you, are you ready? Are you ready in your guts? When you look inside, are you shaped like resurrection? Are we, are we ready for Easter? And so with every visitation from a prophet, the prophets would say to Jerusalem, 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 are you ready? Are you who you're called to be? Have you been shaped by the kingdom of heaven? Oh, and what do we do with the prophets, you know? Depends on how much you want to hear from them. How you'll respond to the Lenten invitation depends on how much you care if you're ready or not. Because if you're not ready, or if you're really not all that interested in resurrection life, then you can't possibly be all that curious about Lent. It just won't matter to you. There's another thing to do. But if I live in a world in which the resurrection really happened, and I have a particular kind of life available to me, then Lent is essential. Asking myself the question, Am I ready is essential or I'm gonna miss it. My house will be left to me desolate. The Pharisees, if we enter the text, they're of course the religious establishment of Jesus' day. They come to Jesus to give him a friendly warning. You better get out of here. Herod's gonna kill you. And Jesus says my favorite Jesus thing that he ever said, maybe anywhere, apart from I am the resurrection and the life. He said, you go tell that fox. I will keep on. So there's clearly already a separation between the Pharisees, distorted Jerusalem, and Jesus himself, the emissary of heaven between the outpost or supposed outpost and the thing itself. The Pharisees have become the lackeys for Herod. Sad. Which is, by the way, what always happens when the church starts serving the interests of their politicians. When we look to our politicians to bring the kingdom of heaven for us, we become puppets. They're not for you. They want to pull your strings. That's always been true. So the Pharisees come to Jesus. Hey, it's a little friendly warning. Herod's looking for you, he's gonna kill you. Herod is himself, in sort of like human form, distorted Jerusalem. This is Herod and Antiochus, by the way. There are a lot of Herods in the Gospels, it's easy to get them confused. But here's what it, we need to know about who Herod is. Herod is the son of Herod the Great. Uh, this Herod, Herod Antiochus, is the one who's gonna kill John the Baptist. He's the one who's gonna um, have Jesus brought before him, before he's crucified, and mock Jesus to his face by dressing him in a robe and putting a crown on his head. He's gonna get his revenge, he thinks. He's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great 
is the one who was given the title King of the Jews by Rome. Herod the Great is the one who hunted the infant Jesus. He was a vassal. That was his official title. King of the Jews was a nice way of saying, you're a puppet king. He was a Jew. And he sided with the Romans to ensure the interests of the Roman state in the region of Judea, among his own people. He was a traitor. Herod is the Edmund of the Bible. Do you remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Do you remember Edmund? Edmund is the little boy who gets invited into the witch's sledge. Do you remember? And promised Turkish delight. And for all the Turkish delight that he wants, and he can be king if he'll just betray his brothers and sisters. That's Herod. Herod's a child and a traitor. And a want to be king. He was denied the title given to his father. Herod the Great was king of the Jews. Herod Antiochus was tetrarch. Wah, wah. That just means you're one of four of Herod's kids. And when he asked to be king, Rome told him no. So when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you go tell that fox. He's not giving him a compliment. He's not saying, you go tell that sly, conniving, shyster. What he's saying is, you go tell that wannabe king. Because a lion is a king, a fox is a wannabe some serious shade, in other words, given by Jesus. You go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing the sick, and I will do it today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will finish my work. In other words, I'll be here exercising real authority and real power while he's over there pretending to have any, lusting after power and having none. I'll be here changing the world and I'll do it today and tomorrow and on the third day, once I've defeated death, I will finish the thing I came to do. And yeah, today and tomorrow I'll leave town because I know how you treat prophets. The only place I'm safe is outside of the city I came to save. And here's the thing that terrifies my soul. What if, when visited by the Spirit of God, or prophets, or the Word of God, I would silence them or send them away? I would think myself safer in a kingdom protected by Herods and Pharisees than in a kingdom at which Jesus is at the helm with real authority and real power. After Jesus has his off-snap, mic drop kind of moment, he then turns towards Jerusalem with his back to the Pharisees and he says, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. So your house is left to you desolate. If what Jesus has just said about Herod was provocative, then he's just cranked it up a notch. Because now, 
Jesus turns and says over Jerusalem, 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 how I have longed to gather you like a hen who gathers her chicks. Who gathers Israel under his wings? Who gathers Israel under his wings? Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. Who gathers Israel under his wings? God, the Almighty. So after Jesus drops shade on Herod, he turns towards Jerusalem and says, I am very God who would gather you under my wings and protect you, give you real refuge, help you find your calling, ensure that you can be who you've been called and created to be. But you'd rather be in an empty house. I believe for myself, someone who is at this time in my life actively trying to choose resurrection life over another kind of life, choosing to live into a world that is admittedly harder and harder to see. I can hear the voice of Jesus over my life and I believe over yours. His voice in my ear say, you go tell that fox who has never been just Herod. Herod is a puppet. He always has been. He was not just Rome's puppet, of course. He's Satan's puppet. And if it's not Herod, it'll be somebody in your life who's always trying to threaten you, make you feel more afraid than you should be, make you doubt the calling that you've been given, make it harder and harder to see, make it seem as insignificant is everything else in your life. You just live in this world, shh. This is Jerusalem, the city of David. You're fine. So now I have decided that when I feel a little bit salty in my spirit, I'm going to take up the words of Jesus to say over an enemy who threatens to distract and throw me off course. I will keep on. Today and tomorrow, I will do the thing for which I have been called. You are a want to be king and you are defeated by him who lives in me. And if you have never needed to say that prayer, your day is either coming or your house will be left to you desolate. And I say that with all the love of Jesus in my heart. You'll either need those words or you won't. But they come as a gift. During this Lenten season, I think We've been gathered. God would spread his wings over you. He would send emissaries close to you through his spirit, through his word, through the prophets. How will you receive them? 
Spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer, emissaries from heaven asking you the question in your ear, are you ready? Will you be who God's called you to be? And so the only question for me and you is how will we receive these friends, these graces, these gifts? So that I can know on Easter morning, ah, that Jerusalem may stone the prophets, but not this one. We will be an outpost for the kingdom of heaven. We will keep on. And you get to choose. He's terrifyingly gracious that way. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord God, the spirit of Jesus would be with us, would be in us, at work through us, Lord, that you would, God, Give us the courage of our Savior, Lord. That you would, Lord, with the same voice that growled through the words of Jesus, that you would now, Lord, with all the authority of heaven, speak out over your people, Jesus. Gather them, Lord, under your wings. Give us refuge, Lord. Shore us up, strengthen us, Lord. Defend and protect us. Help us to choose you, Jesus. It's in your name, our good and wonderful King. It's in your beautiful name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.